May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What is your calling? Well, if you're anything like me, just hearing that question begins to give you heart palpitations. I'm not sure if this is just specific to my generation, but I can't think of any question that I've devoted more of my time and energy to trying to answer. And it can be sort of anxiety-inducing. I mean, it's kind of a dramatic question that demands a dramatic response. After all, no one really wants to reply to that question with something that is mundane or shallow. My calling is to wash dishes. My calling is to make straight seas. No, instead we want something more grandiose. My calling is to be a missionary. My calling is to be a doctor and save people's lives. My calling is to change the world. Or maybe if you're older, you might feel a bit depressed when you hear that question. Maybe you think you missed your calling or you never figured out what your calling was supposed to be. And so that question, what is your calling, causes you to feel regret or unimportant. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that I think it is the wrong question. Now, I'm not saying that you are in the wrong if you have ever asked yourself this question. After all, I spent eight years doing just that. And I also don't think it's wrong if you feel strongly that you do have a calling. Praise the Lord, that's wonderful. But I think the question itself can be unhelpful and misleading. And there are three reasons I've come to believe this. First, the question presumes that you will only have one calling and that you have to figure out what that one calling is. But I think we all recognize, don't we, that one person might have many different callings on their life. I am called to be a pastor. I'm also called to be a husband and a dad and a teacher and an evangelist and the list goes on. Second, Christians have always proclaimed that in the grand scheme of things there is only one call from God that matters and it goes out to all people. As Jesus puts it in today's gospel reading, we are called by God to be reborn into a new and eternal life by believing in him. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. John 3.16, one of my favorites. Third, it can become a completely narcissistic question as if God's call on our lives belongs to us. What is your calling? Too often, our focus is on our calling and not on the one who is calling us. And our text from Genesis 12 this morning is instructive on this point. 
it may be helpful for you to turn to it in your bulletins or open your pew Bibles to page 8. We're looking at Genesis 12. I think far too often people treat our text from Genesis 12 as if it's primarily about Abram. You'll notice that even our pew Bibles title this passage as the call of Abram. But that's ridiculous. This isn't the call of Abram. This is the call of God. God's promise has nothing to do with Abram and everything to do with God. Look at what the text says. I will show you. I will make of you. I will bless you. I, 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 I. It's all about God and what he is going to do through and for Abram. And to drive home the point even further, God doesn't say that Abram is going to bless all the nations of the earth. What it literally says in Hebrew is that in you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. If you're looking in your pew Bible, you'll notice at the bottom of page 8, there's, this is listed as an alternate translation. But I'm convinced that it's the correct translation. In you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. The verbal form is reflexive. In other words, God is going to bless people of every ethnicity and culture, and he's going to do so through this new faithful relationship he is cultivating with Abram and his family. This passage is about God's call and promise. So today, I want to propose a different question. One that is far more important for our lives. Instead of asking, what is your calling? I would instead like to ask, who is calling you? And this is the question all of our texts this morning address. Who is this God that is calling you? First, the God who calls us is an exclusive God. In our rush to get to the good stuff in God's call to Abram, we might be tempted to skip over all that Abram has to leave behind. The first thing the Lord says to Abram is, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Before the Lord spoke to him, Abram and his family were just like everybody else. They lived in a world of fallen humanity. Last week, Jonathan helped us look at how Adam and Eve tried to pluck godliness for themselves by disobeying the command of God. The effect of this was that all of humanity, including Abram and his family, had been worshiping other gods, idols that they made themselves to try to get what they wanted out of life, gods that could be manipulated, gods that belonged to them. Idolatry was the water they swam in, it was the air they breathed. It was all around them all the time. 
Contemporary theologian Russell Reno, in commenting on this passage, notes, God must interrupt the cascading flow of time, tear out a family from the drumbeat of the generations in order to cut to the joints and marrow of human history, dividing soul and spirit in order to sever the nerve of sin. This is why the Lord called Abram to make a dramatic break from everything that is familiar and so-called normal. Leave your country, leave your family, leave your home. The old gods and way of doing things must be left behind and discarded. This God is exclusive. And it is this exclusive relationship that we see Nicodemus struggling to understand in our gospel reading. Jesus tells us in today's gospel reading that it is only through belief in him that we can have eternal life. Nicodemus and the other Pharisees thought they had a birthright to relationship with God by being born a Jew. But Jesus tells them that it is only through him by being born anew that anyone can have a relationship with God. This morning, we began our liturgy with these words. The Lord our God is the only Lord. Especially during this season of Lent, we need to tend to the fact that we can have no other gods alongside the Lord our God. He is the only Lord. Now, we might be tempted to think, well, I don't worship other gods. I don't have any idols at my house. We don't practice idolatry in our culture. But is that right? I remember when I first visited Pittsburgh, um, the Penguins were competing for the Stanley Cup. And my wife and I had no idea that the hockey championships were going on because we're from Florida. I probably don't need to say more than that. Anyway, that night we went out to eat at a sports bar. And, yeah, you guys know. Uh, and I remember watching this elderly woman wearing a hockey jersey. She had black and gold beads hanging around her neck. And she was completely fixed on the TV, clutching a stuffed animal penguin. And as she watched the game, and as the penguins were passing the puck back and forth, she would vigorously shake the penguin doll at the TV screen. And I heard her say, after the penguins scored a goal, she turned to her friend and said that the penguins were able to score because of my lucky penguin. Now, perhaps our idols aren't as silly or obvious as that. But I don't think our culture is short on idols or false gods. Many of us chase the gods of public approval. How often do you check your Facebook to see if someone has commented or liked your incredibly witty post? How many of your decisions are based on whether or not others will give their approval? Or perhaps you worship that favorite god of Jesus' day, Mammon, the god of money. 
How often do you make your life decisions solely on the basis of finances? How often do you lose sleep over the state of your finances? After all, April 15th is right around the corner. And then for many of us, there is the idol that stares us right in the face, day in and day out. Ourselves. How many of us look only to ourselves for guidance and direction? I know I'm guilty of that. Many of us may not consult something as silly as a statue or a magic eight ball for guidance and direction. But how many of us consult with some of these other idols for guidance and direction? The reason God wants an exclusive relationship with us is to set us free from all these other so-called gods. These other gods are cruel masters and they don't offer us a new and abundant life. The God who is calling us desires an exclusive relationship with us, but not to us. This God is not interested in being the exclusive property of Abram or any other individual person. Which brings us to my second point. The God who calls us is a universal God. It might even be better to say he is the universal God. Earlier I said that God is going to bless people of every ethnicity and culture. Through Abram, God is beginning to form a new religion of relationship that will be open to all people. The story of God's call to Abram isn't just a particular God's personal relationship with Abram. No. As the psalmist says, this is the maker of heaven and earth. This is the God who commanded everything into existence. Light, earth, water, plants, animals, mountains, oceans, stars, galaxies, everything. The God who begins this new relationship is the universal God, the God of everything and everyone. And this is the point that Paul is making in our reading from Romans 4. You might have missed that in the midst of all the words. Abram's relationship with God is a model for everyone, not just Jews. It might seem odd to say it, but Abram wasn't Jewish. There wasn't yet a Jewish people. Abram wasn't even circumcised when God called him and made these extravagant promises to him. No, it is Abram's trusting relationship with God, his faith in God's promise, exemplified by his obedience, that provides the model for how all people can come into relationship with God. This might seem self-evident to us today, but it was absolutely revolutionary in Jesus' day and Paul's day. And God has revealed that through faith in Jesus, everyone can now have access to the exclusive relationship begun with Abram. Third, our God is a God of new beginnings. 
in initiating this relationship with Abram, God was giving Abram and all of humanity a brand new beginning. Listen again to the promise of God. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Instead of a story marked by human sin and suffering, God begins a new chapter in human history marked by trust and blessing. God gives Abram a new beginning for a new story of God's redemption. Of course, ultimately, it's Jesus who opens the door to a radical new beginning for all people. Rebirth. Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Instead of just leaving things behind like Abram, this God gives us an entirely new beginning, a new point of origin in heaven. It is such a strong new beginning that it reorients our entire lives. It's as if we have been born again. And this new beginning places requirements on us. I think St. Augustine said it best when he said, God makes the ungodly man godly in order that he might persevere in this godliness and righteousness. For a man is justified in order that he might be just, not so that he might think it is all right to go on sinning. So, who is calling you? Well, the God who is calling you is exclusive. He's the universal God, and he's the God of new beginnings. And when we pursue relationship with this God, the question of our individual calling becomes less important. One of my spiritual mentors and dear friends faced a ton of really tough life decisions. And he told me that as he faced these decisions, he never really had clarity about his life or what he should do until he started pursuing a deeper understanding of God. And the more he came to know and understand God, the less he was concerned about these massive life decisions and the greater clarity he had about them. And I've tried to follow his example in my own life. I haven't always been successful at that. But the times where I've done that, I've seen my anxiety decrease and my clarity increase. Of course, I recognize that I have much farther to go on this journey. But I want to offer that to you just as a word of encouragement. You know, you may be facing some really difficult decisions in your life. And I want to encourage you that if you will press deeper into a relationship with God, those massive life decisions will become more clear and less massive. So what might this look like practically? How do we do that? Well, instead of treating God like a magic eight ball, should I have pork or chicken for dinner? Should I be a plumber or graphic designer? What is my calling? We could start with something 
very small, very easy. We could start by reading scripture and asking a very simple question. What does this tell me about God? If each of us did this very simple exercise each day, it would be transformative, not just for you personally, but for our life as a corporate body together. Not only would we learn some things about God that we didn't know before, but our lives would be put in right perspective. So as we press into this Lenten season, many voices are going to be calling out to us. The voices of our old idols and the idols of our culture. Like Abram, Lent is about leaving behind all of these so-called gods so that we can step into a deeper relationship with the one God. It isn't about our calling as much as it is about the one who is calling us. May we come to know this God more and discover his call on our lives. Amen.